invite you all to stand at this time as we reverence the reading of God's Word. Today we're going to be considering a message I call Train Up a Child as we continue in our series on God's wisdom for our lives from the book of Proverbs. Very famous passage, perhaps one of the most famous in Proverbs, Proverbs 22 and 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. May God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. Train up a child in the way he should go. I was asked if I intended to preach on this passage before I left Proverbs on more than one occasion. And I did think about it carefully. I understood that uh, just last fall we hosted a parenting conference and I also understand that many of us in the audience today are past our child-raising years. But in the end, I considered it, I prayed about it, and I felt led to bring you this short series on this subject for a couple of reasons. Uh, First of all, to remind us all of what God says about this subject. Also, to provide a resource by that to those who may need it, both now and in the future, uh, because there might be someone you want to share this with, and uh, also to show what is at stake in this significant matter of raising children. And I told you last week we'd consider this passage of Scripture under four general headings, and I've decided uh, to combine these as they do indeed logically go together, so that today's message will be devoted to the need for us to show our children affection and attention, affection and attention. And then next week, we will cover the task of correction and instruction because those two things, in both cases, those two things go together. So this morning, just getting right into it, we'll begin with affection. And in order to uh, undergird what the Proverbs tell us, I want us to see what Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. It's not uncommon for us to see instructions Uh, that carry out, guys, we may need to shift over to this other mic, with a big red arrow on them that says, start here, start here. And if I were to put a big red arrow on this whole subject of what the Bible says about raising children, I probably would not put it in uh, Proverbs chapter 22, although it is a great passage. But if I wanted to talk about where to start, It would be Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Yes, it is an Old Testament passage. Yes, it's a part of the law of Moses. Yet it is instruction that carries over into the New Testament because Jesus quoted this passage of Scripture directly while he was here. And we should notice that within this whole realm of parenting, of what we teach to our children, God begins by calling parents to love Him, to love God. 
with all our heart, soul, and strength. And when we love God in such a consuming way, this love obviously would be obvious to our children so that we can in turn teach it to them. You know, we love a lot of things these days. And sometimes, unfortunately, we love the things that the Bible warns us about. It's possible, for example, for us to be consumed with the love of money. The Bible calls that the root of all evil, the love of money. We might think about having a love for ourselves. That's something the Bible warns us about. So much so that when the Apostle Paul wrote in his last letter, 2 Timothy, about the perilous times that were coming, the first thing he said was that men, and in that context it means people, people would be lovers of their own selves. Lovers of their own selves. And in his conclusion then, he would warn about being lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. John mentioned in John chapter, or told us John chapter 12 and verse 43 that some of the people who left Jesus did so because they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. So it's possible, you see, for us to love the wrong things. And with such a stern warning then in our minds and hearts about what happens to us when we love the wrong things, uh, it's appropriate for us to consider today that this is what God tells us to love more than anything else. That we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength. Let me be quick to tell you this morning that the love of God is not a threat to your love for anybody else in this world that you're supposed to love. But in fact, the love of God is, in fa- is the source of our love for one another. I'm not going to tell you today that it's wrong for us to love things or, or to love uh, other uh, things that we might do. To be passionate, we like to say it, about some things. But those things can be wrong to us if we love them more than we love God. And so we need to ask ourselves the question, do our lives give testimony to our love for God? We love God with all our hearts, but then God also tells us in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 6 that His Word should be in our hearts. The the words that I'm giving you today will be in your heart. To put it simply, folk, we can't teach what we don't know. We have to have a familiarity with the subject if we're going to teach it to others. So you have to love God to be able to show others our love. And you have to know God's truth to be able to pass it along to your children. And so with that understanding, we can read passages in the New Testament as well. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9, for example. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Here in His love... Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 19 says it again. We love him because he first loved us. And so there's something connected between our understanding of the love of God, our perceiving of the love of God, 
And the fact that God sent his son, gave his son, to be the propitiation. That's a long word. It means the payment, one who pays the price for our sins. And so knowing about the love of God is wrapped up in a package. And that package that contains the knowledge of God's love is the salvation that's available to us through Jesus Christ. So we see in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. God, You see, John lays this out for us so foundationally this morning uh, because it is so critical for our lives and for our eternity. Uh, he mentions our confession of Jesus Christ as Lord, which is the foundational uh, confession of the Christian life. It is what we confess uh, when we seek Jesus Christ as our Savior, when we receive him as Savior. It's why the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, or the Lord Jesus as it's found uh, in the King James and the New King James. If you b uh, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, then uh, you will be saved. We've known then the love of God because we know Jesus Christ is our Savior. This is all important for us because unless we have that transformative spiritual change in us, so transformative that the Bible calls it being born again, then our love will naturally go toward the things that God says, you don't love this way. We will naturally, as humanity, humanly speaking, will naturally gravitate uh, toward loving ourselves, toward loving our pleasures, toward loving popularity, loving the praise of men, uh, toward loving money and what money can buy. That's, that's just how we are wired up in our fallen sinful condition but once we receive Christ in our life then God takes up residence in our life by the presence of the Holy Spirit and now we can see love on a completely different level love in a different dimension how does God then love us because that's how we are to love one another love is of God and because we uh, God loves us, and because we love God, then we love one another, and that one another also includes our family. So how do we love like God loves? Well, God's love, first of all, is a giving love. God so loved the world that he gave. Fundamental in this giving nature of love is that God gave himself through Jesus Christ. And in Ephesians 5, we're told that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Give ourselves. God's love is a giving love. God's love is a faithful love. Who shall separate us, Paul asks in Romans chapter 8, from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then he answered that question, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come, neither height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. God's love, you see, is a faithful, or if you'd like that word, uh, another word a little better, an enduring kind of love. God's love is merciful. 
Uh, God is rich in mercy because of his great love. That's Ephesians 5 again. God's love also chastens us. Hebrews 12, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. God's love speaks truth. Ephesians 4.15 speaks of how that we speak the truth in love. Why? Because God does. And as we speak the truth in love, then we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. You see, nobody speaks the truth in love better than God does. And so when we're speaking the truth in love, we are simply growing up into him who is our head, who is Jesus Christ. God loves us even when we're enemies. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, Romans 5, 8. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Never forget, brothers and sisters, that every sin that is ever committed is a sin against God. And in our sinfulness, we were hostile toward God. And yet it was in that state that God loved for us. God loved us. God died for us. Even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So when we think about the things that the Bible says about love, and by far and away, folk, this is not an exhaustive list. These are just some things that I pulled up this, uh, this week as I was looking at this passage. And how does God love us? And God lives in us when we receive Christ as our Savior. God's love then is in, in us. And I bring this all up because if we want to show affection properly to our children, it begins with our love for God. And then it progresses with our love for our spouses. I've said this so much that I kind of thought I invented it, but Nancy reminded me that she had heard this all her life. So, uh, Husbands, one of the greatest things you can do for your children is to love their mama. And wives, one of the greatest things you can do for your children is to love their daddy. When husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church and wives submit to their husbands as the church submits to Christ, when we are then modeling the love of God and our love for our spouses, it's easy for children then to learn how they should treat others and relate to others. We honor one another. We respect one another. We seek each other's benefit. And this produces an environment where children feel safe and where they can flourish in life because they're secure in their understanding that mom and daddy love each other. That's a big deal. And so with those two things in place, we're talking about loving our children. Let's understand that our first requirement is to love God. And we perceive that love of God as we receive Christ Jesus into our heart and life. And then it progresses as we love each other's moms and dads. And then, then we can show affection to our children as they need it. When I say this, I understand that showing affection doesn't always come easily to people. 
many in my parents' generation, that World War II generation, were very stoic. Men were taught to be very stoic and showing love. And even something as simple as saying, I love you, came very hard to a lot of men. And so as I look out over our congregation, and many of you have gray hair like I do, and I know your parents were like mine, and, and you might have not heard a lot uh, of your mom or dad saying, I love you, especially your dad. Uh, not to say that you didn't know that he loved you. You did know that he loved you. You were secure in that, certainly. But it's not the, the saying of it, but the showing of it that we're talking about. Kids need to hear their parents say, I love you. And let me add into that, even if they're grown kids, they still need to hear, I love you. Hugs are important. As your children grow and become teenagers, it may be a little bit more difficult, especially for dads, but affection is critical. They need to hear it. Uh, they need to feel it. We need to let them know that they are loved. Sometimes we have to let them know they're loved when they're not being very lovable. And sometimes that's when they need it most of all. Not to say they're not needing discipline. We'll talk about that next Sunday. This is this Sunday. And we're talking about affection. And I hope I've made it clear. We've got a very clearly established line for how this works. We begin with our love for God, which is we respond. It doesn't start with us. It starts with him. We love God because he first loved us. So we see how God loves us. We experience that through Jesus Christ. Then we love our spouses. Then we love our children. And we show them that affection. That brings us to the second part, which is attention. And we'll center our thinking here in Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. A child left to himself. Uh, quite simply, that is the epitome of a child who lacks attention who's not getting the attention that he needs. It's not something that you haven't heard or been aware of. You know, as well as I do, that children need attention. They crave it like a drug. And they're going to get it. If you don't give it, then they'll come after it. And a lot of times, the way they come after that attention is not something you're going to like. They crave attention. I know I bring up the internet a lot and cell phones a lot and electronics in general quite a lot, but part of the reason why is because this is all so new and yet so revolutionary. I don't think anything has changed our lives. It's had such a profound impact on our lives. I'm talking about anything in the world as much as cell phones have and electronics have. I have watched as some of my grandchildren knew how to operate a cell phone before they could talk. I'm not making that up. 
when I'd see them grab the cell phone, I expected them to eat it. <laughs> or use it as a hammer or something like that. They didn't. Not a time. Instead, they pick up that cell phone, and you know what they start doing? Before they can talk. I learned something else. If you give them the code to your phone, they will never forget it. <laughs> never. Might as well change it. They'll never forget it. How does a toddler that can't even talk learn how to operate a cell phone? You know by watching their parents do it and their grandparents. It's everywhere. One thing those little tykes learn quickly is that whatever that little box is, it's more important than anything. I see it every Wednesday in Awana when moms come in the door scrolling their phones and they barely can put them down even to check in their kids. They walk in, kids all around, scrolling their phones. They check them in. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. And they leave out the same way. Now, now you think they're responding to somebody's very vital uh, text, and I will admit they might be getting a text from President Trump or former President Trump or President Biden, I understand it. There's a lot of them going around today. But for the most part, they're just scrolling, whatever it is they're scrolling, and we all know it. It used to be television that was a great distractor when we gathered together as a family in our homes, but now it's not. It's the cell phones. And not to say television isn't still a threat, but after all, we do get even our television on our phones. Now, I don't have a solution for all this. I'm not a, don't be sitting there looking at me like I'm some kind of Neanderthal here. I understand. I, I use cell phones. I do. I use the technology myself. But I will say that when it comes to giving children attention, we might need to take a long, hard look at what we're doing here. Bible gives us some very plain truth in Ephesians 6 and 1. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Obey your parents. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. So in Ephesians 6, while Proverbs said that a child left to himself is ashamed to his mother, in Ephesians chapter 6, they're both lumped in together. Uh, honor your father and your mother. Uh, but then there's particular instruction to the father. Verse 4, And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Fathers, bring up your children in the training and admonition of the Lord. Perhaps from the time a child is conceived, but most certainly from the time a child is born, parents, the parents of that child, have a new career. And for the next 18 years, arguably maybe 25 years and 
honestly, I'm, I'm into it now. How many, how, you know, we're probably close to 40 years by now, maybe actually a little over that, uh, 43, 44 years into it. And I still feel very much like a dad. And there are times when our kids will call us and need to talk, but it's not as hands-on of a job as it is in those early years. Remember, the Bible says, train up a child, a child, in the way that he should go. You obviously have a second job. You have another job, and it's an important job. It pays the bills. It pays for the doctor and for food and housing and all the other things. But let's just understand that because you have another job, it does not deliver you from this job of bringing up your children in the training and admonition of the Lord. The Bible mentions the father because the father is the spiritual leader of the home and ultimately you're accountable to God for you and your family. Obviously, a lot of the grunt work in raising children is going to fall on the mother. It always has and it always will. It's part of God's design. That's why the proverb says that a child, an abandoned child, or a child not given any attention is going to be ashamed to its mother because when you see these kids running around, loose on the world, you're going to ask, where's their mama? Before you'll ask, where's her dad? But that doesn't mean that the father does not have a role to play. So when we look up these passages, we've already seen it, uh, train up a child, uh, the importance of teaching children, uh, uh, parents, a child left to himself is, is not right. Attention, attention. And to give our children attention requires the most important commodity there is in this world today, our time. Our time. It's what it takes. And so when you get home from work and you gather together as a family unit, especially when your children are young, you have some critical time to invest in your children. If you're a stay-at-home mom and you've been home with the kids all day, it may be a critical time for you to get a little break so that dad can step in and deal with the kids for a little while. They need to hear their father's voice. They need his undivided attention. Yes, children crave it. You ever wonder maybe why bedtime, I've got a theory about bedtime, why bedtime is such a struggle. Just think about it. When you're putting your kids to bed, all of a sudden, and a lot of times it's the dad, what have they got? They've got your undivided attention. <laughs> because more than anything else at that moment, you want that child to go to bed and go to sleep. Amen? Undivided attention. So what do they do? everything they can to keep it going as long as possible. So maybe, I, I, this is just a suggestion. I didn't always do it, but I did it some. Uh, you might try something different for a while. Instead of putting, a, I'll try to lump it all up and give them attention just at bedtime, maybe do something else. It's going to take some radical adjustment. Uh, put our phone down and get it out of hand and out of reach. Turn the ringer off. Put it on silent. Better yet, punch that airplane button. 
and it turns the whole thing off. You don't get any notifications for a while. Put it aside. Turn the television off. Pick up a book. Yeah, one of those paper things. A real book with pictures. Hey, it's just an experiment. And for an hour or so, just read book after book with your kids. If they get tired of that, then uh, build something. Yeah, if you've got a boy, if you've got a little girl, maybe play Barbies or something with them. There are ladies in our church who have spent literally their whole lives teaching children. God bless you, ladies. We know who you are. We appreciate your dedication to the service of God. You have invested in multiple generations of children. God bless you for what you're doing. Ask those ladies why they still use coloring sheets though they could easily pull up an iPad and all they'd have to do is point and click and do all the coloring and it would stay perfectly in the lines. But we don't do that. Ask them why they still use coloring sheets. Ask them if they ever use flannel graphs. And I can't speak for any other church in this town, but I can speak for this one. And yes, they do use flannel graphs. Some of you may not know what a flannel graph is. Look it up. Look it up. Ask them if their kids will still pay attention to flannel graphs. There's a reason why those things are in such high demand right now. And, of course, and publishers, yes, are responding to that demand as publishers do. What's the difference between the two? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever read a book and then gone to watch a movie based on the book that you'd read? If you have ever done that, chances are you found the movie to be a bit disappointing. Why? Because no Hollywood producer, no director, no matter how imaginative, can ever put in film what your brain can create with its own imagination. See, as you read that book, you imagined it playing out in your mind. And that's one of the ways that God has fearfully made us. And let me tell you something. If you're experiencing that as an adult, and you probably still are, and if you know what I'm talking about even as an adult, so that even you still have an imagination and know how to use it, let me tell you something. Your children have imagination on steroids. Their imagination is through the roof. That's why they like it. When you sit down with them and read a book and you show the pictures, uh, not to mention you're giving them undivided attention when you're doing that. I can tell you in all of my life, of course, it wouldn't do me any good to tell you, my kids never asked me, Dad, would you put down this book and bring it to me on an iPad? Of course, my children didn't ask me that. We didn't have iPads. But I can tell you, I've never had a single one of my grandkids say, Pop, I'm tired of this old book. Will you bring me an iPad and let's play on it? Never had them do it. Not a single solitary time.
You see, I, I bring this up to say maybe, maybe when it gets to bedtime, moms and dads, that I've directed a lot of this to dads because I know you're coming in from work and you're tired and you want to watch football game and you got all these other things you want to do, you want to rest, you want to put your feet up. I know. You've got another job, dads, when you get home. You've been gone all day and your children need your attention. Give them that. Find ways to give it to them. Be creative, yes. And moms as well. So that children then can use their imagination, combine it with the undivided attention of their parents. It makes a difference. Remember, we're talking about training up a child. Don't worry, parents. It won't be too long until your children turn into something else. Teenagers. Teenagers. When they get to be teenagers, they're not going to want near as much of your attention. But it doesn't mean they don't still need it. It just means they're not going to want it. They're going to be hiding from you by those days. So take this time that you have and use it well because you're investing then in the bank of your children's heart. And when it comes time then from you to make a withdrawal from that bank, there'll be something there because you've invested it in them in their childhood. How important is all this? Well, Judges chapter 2 and verse 10 very famously said, and all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. And that's speaking of the generation that came out of Egypt. Of course, many of them died in the wilderness. Then there were some, Joshua and Caleb, and all of their children's age who went into the promised land. And all of that generation were gathered unto their fathers. And there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. Joshua led God's people until he died. That generation was there, but their children's children, their grandchildren grew up without knowing God. Listen, in one generation, a nation can go from being a godly, God-serving nation to a people who do not know God at all. Parents, what you're doing or not doing in raising your children has a profound effect on your home and on their lives but also it has a profound effect on our nation as a whole. And I can tell you this morning that many of the things that are currently happening in our nation would not be happening if our nation was still profoundly devoted to God and his truth. The Pew Research Center recently conducted a survey of young Americans raising children over 90% of them said that their biggest concern was that their children would grow to be financially independent adults. I'm not going to tell you that's not important. That's a big deal. But I would think that the answers of a lot of young parents might have reflected that their number one priority was to raise their children to know God and to know his truth. But that wasn't the case. I would have thought that it would have been somewhere on their list. 
but what I saw from the research that they had, it didn't seem to be on their list at all. I also want to mention this morning before we're done that loving our kids, showing them affection, giving them attention is going to require some sacrifice. That should be understood, but often it is not. Remember, God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. He gave. What kind of gift was it? It was a sacrifice. He gave himself for us. That is a sacrificial love. But in today's world, many parents are so far removed from anything relating to the things of God that sacrificing for their kids is not on their agenda at all. You might take issue with that, folk. I have seen too much of it in this world. And it doesn't seem to be getting better. It's getting worse. You mean there are actually parents who have no concept that they should give up things for themselves so that their children can have what they needed? Yes, I'm saying that. Yeah, sure am. Sometimes the problem is fueled by their addictions. His parents are addicted, but not always just drugs or alcohol. Although these things are certainly devastating to a parent and to the children who are trying to make their way in a world where their parents really are only devoted to their habits, whatever they are. Sacrifice can take on another level. Moms may not have a lot of time to spend on dads or energy when your kids are young. And dads may not have a lot of time to spend on moms. If both of you are spending the time that we need to spend on our children. And I've heard it over and over again that uh, uh, women are very blessed when they see their husbands taking time to spend with their children. They find that very attractive. And uh, I understand how that is. It goes both ways. We love to see our spouse investing, playing with, spending time with their children. And it may mean that our role as husbands and wives may take a somewhat lesser role. May have to. I'm going to close out today by saying good parenting may not have been in your family DNA. You may have been raised in a family where parents were not very supportive, where fathers were not very affectionate, where mothers uh, were something to be avoided and, and, and feared. You might not have had a good family upbringing. But let me tell you something. I want you to remember where we started today, and I started there for a reason. Um, you were all born to somebody, but if you're a believer in Christ, you've been born again. God, by the Holy Spirit, lives in you, and you have a whole different role model and a very perfect one in our Father God and the way he loves us. And you can be different. You can improve. You don't have to continue the cycle. You can Show your children affection and attention. Let's stand together, please.